You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Sean and Rick for the first time ever, I think. I don't know. And, uh, and <laughs> Very long time. Yeah, welcome back. And in addition to that, we have an awesome guest, Scott Peace of Snapships Tactics fame is back, and we're here to talk about all things. I mean, Scott has a huge variety of experience in now the tabletop space as well as the video game space. And we wanted to talk a little bit about now that he's experienced in both with running a successful campaign for Snapchat Tactics, what the differences are like in you know video games and board games, just kind of to reflect on where we've where we've come because Scott just you just finished your your campaign for Snapchat Tactics, right? Like your fulfillment. Yeah, our fulfillment is done done, I think. Fingers crossed. Um, like all the packages are out. Everyone, as far as I know, has their stuff and they're super excited about it. So it's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I have. Uh, I'm at the point where my uh, UK EU stuff is still on the water. Will be actually um, on land by the time this podcast airs a few days from now. I have still a hundred US backers that are yet to get their stuff. My Canadian backers haven't gotten their stuff. And what scares me is that there are 41 addresses that were marked as undeliverable, and I don't know what is coming. Like, what does this mean? Just send it to my house. That's good, Scott. I, uh, just for the listeners, because um, they may not have experienced this yet before how long did your fulfillment take like from from first ship to last ship okay so you're talking about uh once it got to the warehouse or you're talking about from the manufacturer in china all the way uh uh, from just 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 from from to the warehouse from the warehouse starting at the warehouse okay so like you know well a few things for us it probably took us about a month in the u.s um just because when we landed, we got held up at customs, which was always my fear. Uh, and they held on to my shipment for about a week or a week and a half, which slowed oh, us okay. down. And we were in trouble too, because we really wanted to make Gen Con. We had told everyone we we're going to try to fulfill by Gen Con. I wanted to have games at Gen Con. We had a booth at Gen Con. That was like the drop dead, dead date. Um, and uh, but it got held up there, it took another maybe another week to reach Bridge. And then Bridge had some other projects that had to get out the door. And then luckily we slid in right before this project called Deliverance. And uh, <laughs> I had to stay on Bridge to keep them on target. And I said, get all the snapships out before you start on that uh ginormous uh angel filled game. So yep. um it took them, I think, a couple of weeks to get through. Like over a thousand orders. I think our project was a little unique in that my average order had something like 10 SKUs in it. Mm-hmm. So Bridge was able to crank through all the like people who just ordered a, a starter box or a, or a simple order. But near the end, it was a grind. They were grinding out these massive packages with tons of different SKUs in them. And, you know, credit to Bridge, like 99% of that stuff was all correct and and all got out. So it just took a little mm-hmm. a little extra time. So we we got our stuff to Gen Con. We had a fantastic Gen Con. We sold out of everything uh, by Sunday yeah. of Gen Con. And I got to run into uh, backers live at Gen Con, which was uh, kind of a, a cool thing. And most of them had either their, their games in hand or they had their shipping confirmation. So... We were pretty close on our deadline. Not perfect, but pretty close. Did, did you have your own dedicated well, autograph line for that too? 
<laughs> no, we did. We did sign a few boxes. That was that was fun. My favorite moment from Gen Con was a gentleman who came up and he said, "I'm looking for Scott Pease. Where's Scott Pease?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's me." And he's like, "I haven't heard from you guys in months, and I want to blah." And he was, you know, very <laughs> wound up. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, let's calm down. Let's like go through everything." And we were able to, I was able to find his order and see exactly where he was in the queue, which was awesome. And then we were able to go through his spam and find all the Kickstarter updates that he had not read <laughs> that were keeping him up to date. And he was a super nice guy. And by the end of the uh, end of this process, he actually bought another starter kit from us right then and there. So that was, wow. that was cool. I need to play so now. I had a weird story that's kind of kind of similar. I didn't go to Gen Con, but um, so we have a doula that has helped us deliver all of our children. So the first one ended up being a, C a scheduled C-section, but she kind of helped to prepare us. And, and it ended up being that, you know, we had to have a C-section. So, but then all five natural births after that, and she ordered a deliverance game. And then she, she like sent an email to my wife was like, you said that you would send the game like months ago, but I haven't heard anything. And she thinks that we like ripped her off or something. And so my wife responds to her like, oh yeah, it's actually, it was being manufactured at that time. It wasn't being shipped, but it was being made and whatever. And she asked a question, a bunch of different questions. And she got like a one line response was like, that is my correct address, period. And it was like, oh my goodness, she is super <laughs> upset. And um, so clearly she had not been following the updates, whatever. So uh, my wife, Christy called her and was able to, to explain. And then everything was way better after that. It's like, okay, the game is actually sh has shipped and will arrive in your house in like four days. It just so happens conveniently time that you called and thought that we were, uh, scumbag stealers of your money, uh, four <laughs> days before you got your product. But you know, it's, it's not that I sent it in response to you telling me that you hadn't received it for months but look at all these kickstarter updates you know and it really helped well, i hope she oh, likes i hope she likes the game if uh if child number seven is on the way so yeah yeah so, definitely <laughs> i have an interesting question for the both of you because i've i've been watching um because for some reason i'm 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 uh what do you call it subscribe to andrew's game feed on on facebook and I don't know if you've had similar experience or if you do anything different or the same, Scott. I noticed like as soon as the game was announced, like, hey, it's it's now getting over to the distrib distributors. Um, I noticed that like everyone just started freaking out. And like all of a sudden it was mm -hmm. like every hour someone was like, where's my game? Where's my game? Where's my game? I haven't got my my shipping code yet. I have, where's, where's my email? It was like nonstop. And in fact, it's still going on right now since since, mm -hmm. since it started. I believe for Andrew's game, it. Delivery started in Australia first, and uh, so people were posting pictures like, here's my game, and then everyone starts freaking out even more. Um, <laughs> I'm beyond there, worried at this point that I'll ever receive a copy. It's like, yeah, hey, yeah. Uh, is there <laughs> any kind of suggestion or strategy that you would recommend to people who are going to be hitting that pr procedure or or any kind of, I mean, I don't know. I think it just happens, but. Yeah, I'd just say like set the right expectations. Like I didn't, I didn't even know how this was going to go down, and I wish I did so that I could have told everyone what to expect because yeah, it takes time for the warehouse to go through all those orders. And in our case, it took, I think two and a half weeks. Whereas I thought, Oh yeah, it'll hit the warehouse. And then magically all these boxes will get packed in like three or four days and they'll all go out at the same time. And it just, that's not physically possible. 
So yeah, like we saw people get their stuff right away. And then like backer number two, backer number five, backer number 10 is jumping up and going like, dude, what's going on? Where's my, where's my stuff? I was first in, you know? And it's like, oh man. And like, again, the reality of, of the way things work, at least, you know, at Bridge is that the easy orders go out first and then all the like really complicated orders get kind of uh, set to the end of of that sort of fulfillment period. So mm-hmm. whatever you're thinking, when you, whenever you give an estimate, add 50% and then add another 50% and another 50% on top of that, because it's <laughs> yeah. just going to take a little bit longer than you expect and you want people to have the right expectation. Right. So they're not disappointed, you know. What I, what I like about Andrew's campaign is um, he he got his. Did you did you you eventually got your game right, Andrew? I actually am going to get mine tomorrow. Yeah. So so <laughs> great is Andrew actually uh, had a you know when people say I haven't got my game yet, Andrew's like, well, I haven't got mine either. <laughs> I made it. So <laughs> same same thing. Same thing. I was I was the last one. Of, I was one of the last orders out the door as well. So I, you know, which actually <laughs> that was kind of a problem because honestly, I wanted to be putting out more media and showing the game off and, and <laughs> doing photos and stuff. And I didn't even have my own games yet. Uh, and I was at the end of the queue as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I learned is that um, so. I had a couple of reviewers ask for games and I set it up kind of like Jamie Stegmeier did, does it, which is he gives people a hundred percent off plus free shipping coupon to his store and lets them get that game. And, you know, they're able to handle like the delivery and whatnot. And so I did that with a couple of big name reviewers like Alex Radcliffe from Board Game Co., Tom Vassell with the Dice Tower and, um, you know, Jesse Anderson with Quackalope and a couple of others. And Bridge was like, oh, we'll move this to the queue first. And it was fulfilled like the next day was Mark fulfilled. Is that a thing I can do? I didn't realize that I could ask you to, <laughs> or like fill this order first, you know? And uh, it's funny. But yeah, and there were a couple of people that were like, hey, I'm leaving in one week for a month. And if I don't get it in time, I can't take it with me and whatever. So I was able to kind of finagle a little bit. But um, but yeah, it was, it was a learning experience for me too, because we had a bunch of t-shirts. So the, the, the largest number of SKUs we have is probably like six in in an order for for the most part, um, and that was uh, because people got you know all the add-ons plus extra dice plus a t-shirt, and anybody that orders a t-shirt is last because I have thirty nine different SKUs of t-shirts and they have to pick the right one. You know, it's like a an XL of the Michael style or whatever. I have three different shirts. Yeah. So Scott, so speaking of SKUs, now now that you know the SKUs may have been an issue. Would you do as many separate uh, things in your shipment in the future or would you stick it and make it more simple? I mean, I wanted to keep it simple, right? The The challenge with uh, Snapship's tactics is that it supports toy kits, which already existed. Mm-hmm. And those toy kits are SKUs that I can't, I can't modify. I could put them into bundles to make them easier to purchase, but they all have to be individually packed out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the, at the packing thing. So absolutely. I mean, Everything you read about doing a first-time Kickstarter says keep the SKUs simple. Well, first they say do a simple card game first so you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Totally blew, do blew through that. <laughs> don't do T-shirts. <laughs> don't do a million SKUs. Don't do, you know, all this stuff. Uh, but, of course, we just did it anyway and, um, yeah, somehow have lived to tell the tale. Apart from having probably the coolest office of anyone on, <laughs> anyone on our podcast so far, you obviously have a lot of experience in the video games industry. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about the the advantages and disadvantages uh, or com- the comparisons between video game fulfillment and then tabletop 
fulfillment. And share what kind of uh, games you've worked on so that people have an understanding. <laughs> right. So let's see. Let's see if I can keep this short. So prior to the tabletop space, I worked in video games for about 20 years. I worked for a studio called Neversoft. I was one of the studio heads of um, this development studio here in California that was owned by Activision. And so some of the games we made, we made the nine Tony Hawk games. I was there Mm -hmm. from Tony Hawk one all the way to the end. Um, And then we took over and made uh, seven Guitar Hero games in that span. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I worked on one Call of Duty game uh, at the end of my tenure. And that was uh, enough for me. After that, I I retired from uh, video games and then decided to go into toys and tabletop and and all this this. this physical stuff that, that we deal in, uh, which is, you know, some ways very similar, but in some ways very, very different. Well, wow. Tony, Tony Hawk's Underground 2. I was delighted to find the Star Wars kid in that game. <laughs> <laughs> right? The, the, that's like almost the beginning of memes and, and sort of viral videos and stuff. That's funny. You know, I had experience making whatever we made. We made so many games in so many years. I mean, we were always on a yearly development schedule and I can't even remember, like, I think I made something like 19 video games in 15 years or something crazy like that. In the video game industry, you're always fighting time. Like time is the enemy and everything takes longer than you think it will. And you can never be far enough ahead and you never have enough time to polish and finish. So I, with my background in production, I did try to apply that to the tabletop space and try to keep everything running <laughs> as best I could on schedule. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, honestly, being able to deliver what we delivered in just a year, I mean, heck, we beat Deliverance out, yeah. right? <laughs> you were like, yeah, we, we launched your campaign like a year after Deliverance and then you delivered uh, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, that's just like, and that is just like... Um, I don't know, something that just gets ingrained in you after you go through the grind of the video game industry is just like deadlines are everything, be ahead of schedule, you know, finish, 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 because everything, every other, every step takes a little bit longer than than you think it's going to take. I suppose you were developing games in a very different time than now where once you ship it, it, it is done. There's no patching that you can do, uh, which there's there's a lot of fun in that because people can find bugs and then they can exploit them in speedruns and things, which is, is fun. But now it's almost like the, the design philosophy of video games is get it out quickly and then just iterate with, with people as, as you go along. Just patch it. Yeah. It's it, it, gone out broken. Yeah. It to, you know, completely changed over my career. Like when I, when I started, yeah, we were on the PS1 and it was like, when you came to the end of the game, it was like, okay, this we're burning the gold master on this date. We're going to take that gold master, put it on an airplane, fly it to Sony because we don't want to send it in the mail. It's going to take too long and drop it off. They're going to test it. And then they, if they pass it, that thing goes to manufacturing and they print, you know, a million copies of that original gold master CD. Very funny. Uh, and, you know, like back when I started too, the, the teams were small. We were almost like an independent game. Like I think the Tony Hawk one team was like something like 13 of us made that game. Flash forward to the end of my career when we were working on, um, you know, PS4 and things like that. And it was like we had hundreds and hundreds of people working on a single video game. Everything's online. Everything can be patched. You're actually sending in something that you know is is not quite perfect because you know you can have a day one patch ready and you can work on the game for another 
you know, four weeks, six weeks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're just kind of relying on everyone being online. So that kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting because the tabletop industry works much more like the first example, because mm -hmm. with a tabletop game, it's being printed, it's being physically made. You have to have everything done. You don't want to have to go back and errata anything. <laughs> and uh, it takes time to like go through that physical manufacturing process before it actually gets out to people. Why, why do some companies refuse to release a game unless it's amazing and polished while other companies will release it with bugs and patch later? And, you know, which, which philosophy is better in your opinion? And, you know, what are the constraints there? And is this even applicable to board games? Like is, is like setting deadlines versus saying, oh, no, 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 it's not ready. We're going to change the deadline in board games. Yeah, that that's a tough one. I mean, like, obviously, I think a lot of these games and especially the AAA games are these like 800 pound gorillas and everything has to be queued up in advance. The marketing has to be bought. Ads have to be done. Everything gets focused on a certain deadline. And so sometimes there's just no getting out of that. There's no unwinding it. There's going to be too much money lost if you don't make that date. And so I think, yeah, some companies get pushed into, you know, releasing before they're they're truly ready. What you often see and what we would always run into is that the majority of video game sales for us, you know, this is this has changed a little bit um, now, but um, traditionally it was during the Christmas holiday season. <laughs> So you had to be, you had to make your Christmas wow. deadline. If you missed Christmas, it was like, it was over for your studio. It was over for your game. It was just going to, you know, it was going to sell one quarter of what you would have done uh, if you missed that window. And so we were always up against that. We were always trying to ship a Tony Hawk game um, or a Guitar Hero game and get it out uh, in time for the holiday season. And if we missed that, it would have just, it would have been devastating. That's what's great about the Christmas season. Your game could be horrible, but if you sell it during the Christmas, or if you, you know, market it during the Christmas season, it'll sell because all the good stuff will sell first. And then people are scrambling for last minute gifts and there's nothing left but yours. And then they buy yours. And you're <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a film about that with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Turbo Man. Turbo Man. The, the, the other reality with, uh, with video games too is when you're talking about these large AAA studios, every extra month you spend on development is a significant amount of money. It could be millions of dollars that you're putting into it. And so at some point, these companies do have to make decisions yep. like, you know, do we keep spending on this game that's just never going to finish? And it's, you're just impacting the profitability of that game versus like, do we release it now and, and see what see what it's going to do? Now, I'm of the opinion that you do if the game, if it's a great game, you do need to give it that time and you do need to like keep it in the kitchen long enough to make sure that what you're delivering is polished. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, every company's different, every company's ruled by different people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they got to make these tough calls on like, you know, when to say cut off development and, and get this thing out and see how it does. Yeah. And you know, I feel like that's a, so similar in the tabletop space because number one, I mean, I've seen games that have scope creep up the wazoo games that have started like the Isofarian guard, which is a 40 pound box filled with poker chips, minis. Uh, five or six different, well, five campaign books and a bunch of extra supplemental books that are each like, you know, I mean, thousands of words of narrative. Um, that started out as a card game. So <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it became something really large. And I'm really glad personally that it became something so large. Um, in fact, they're going to Kickstarter on September 5th. And I, I hope they make a million dollars with their awesome product. They are kind of what I would consider the exception to the rule 
of scope creep can really kill you, you know, and, and you need in, in a tabletop game or video game, your burn rate or your churn rate as, as the, the phrase is used, like your, your studio is burning a certain amount of money every month with, you know, paying people salaries for the most part. And you just need to figure out like, how can we stop the bleeding and actually make money with this? Cause you don't actually make any money until the product's released. So I, I could see that being a very, I mean, it's, it's like everything, your, your churn rate and trying to limit your scope and everything in, in the video game space. But how will that apply to the tabletop space? Let's say if you're just one creator working by yourself, I, I feel like there does come a time where like after you run your Kickstarter, you have to make sure that that money can, you know, is spent effectively. And uh, it feels like the more time that goes on, the more you find to spend that money on. But what can people do to kind of uh, reduce the impact that time will have on their on their bottom line in this space? Yeah, I'd say, you know, that's one of the nice things about tabletop that I've found is that I can I can be in control of the schedule a little bit more. I can decide what is the proper scope and um, you know versus like having to check a bunch of the back of the box features that you know a long running series like imposes on you. Um, so that's been cool. I what I think I learned from this project was that I wish I had cut my scope off a little bit before my Kickstarter. I think where you get into trouble is if you go to Kickstarter before your game is done, 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 the finishing part of the game will always take so much longer than, than you anticipated. <laughs> um, I think there's like a video, I, I think uh, there's a video about uh, from Matt Leacock talking about how like the final 20% of the game is like equal to the, the first 80% of the game in terms of, of development effort. And I totally, yep. totally see that. So I, for me, my big learning was, Next time I go to Kickstarter, I want to have the game like ready to print. Like I want to press print the day that Kickstarter finishes. And I don't want to have any more development hanging on any more content that has to be created. That is a really dangerous period, the post Kickstarter phase of a project where if you still have a lot of design to do and a lot of finishing on the game and a lot of testing, it can just drag and drag and drag mm -hmm. and you can get further and further behind and you're backers are going to get, you know, they're going to get a little bit uppity. Eventually they're going to get tired of waiting for your game. They may even forget about mm -hmm. your game. And so I think it is really to your benefit to push that stuff before the Kickstarter as much as possible. And I just, I kind of didn't realize that I thought, oh yeah, it'll be fine. Like we'll get our, the game is essentially done at Kickstarter, but we'll just get our print files ready to go after the Kickstarter. And then, you know, like mm -hmm. the whole post Kickstarter phase is just a, a whole bunch of different kinds of work and that all gets in the way. So yeah, next time be done, done before, uh, before I go to Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a tough thing to balance too, because like for, for me, I, as a first time creator, I knew a lot about, you know, marketing and, and, and that sort of thing. And I knew how to keep myself on pace. Um, there was a lot that I didn't expect that would happen um, after our Kickstarter was done. I gave myself six months to kind of wrap up the development of the game and I, what I didn't expect was that I would move 1,200 miles during mm -hmm. that period. Um, I had a child during that period. And I really, it was a lot of life events going on for me. But even those aside, I still found there were probably like six additional months of stuff that I didn't really factor in, you know, just making sure that all the files were, um, you know, uh, in the correct format that 
the manufacturing uh, pro the, the the actual prototype that they manufactured gets sent to me, vetted and approved. Um, I mean, all all of that took a long time. We we didn't have our dice. Uh, it was actually kind of a saga for a couple of months. I think my Kickstarter backers got tired of hearing about the dice in our game, where we were we were like, all right, we we we're designing custom dice, which was as a direct result of the stretch goal that we unlocked. So it, it created new work for us where we had to make some cool custom dice. I expected that we would do it, but I just didn't have the bandwidth to get it done before we launched. And, you know, backers got to vote and all of that, but it took like three months to get the design right and, you know, the material and everything. And I think now that everybody's receiving it, the dice are one of the things that they absolutely love. Um, they look very expensive, our backers say. But man, it was it was so much that I just didn't expect. And I'll be honest, like we spent more money because things weren't totally done, done. Like you said, you know, like, you know, if the dice isn't right, we have to pay a designer to change it. You know, the hours required to change the design. And then we have to go back and forth with the manufacturer, which takes time. And, you know, it was, it was quite a lot of, of effort. Yeah. And I, then I, of the, course I, it's yeah. the, the communication and the, and the, 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 um, cross ocean thing is is huge and i didn't i didn't really appreciate that like because again with video games right like when you finish you can kind of work up to the last minute obviously you have to test all your changes and everything but when you say you're good you push it up to the server and it's ready to go and download you know mm -hmm. literally within 24 hours for everyone totally different when you're dealing with with physical stuff and um you know like we had to make some changes to the plastic. Well, okay, yeah, they we we send them the changes. They have to go implement the changes. Then they have to shoot the new plastic through the molds, get it out, pack it all up, put it in a box, ship it by DHL to us. It has to transit from China all the way over to here. We have to get it, open it up, and then like test all those changes to make sure that they're exactly what we wanted because you wouldn't want them to produce thousands of these things if they aren't perfect or they aren't correct. And so just that whole like time travel process of trying to get, get those changes um, done, I didn't appreciate how long that would take. And so, yeah, we had the same, same issue in manufacturing where we were just, I wanted everything double and triple checked and it just, it takes time to implement the changes and then get them shipped over to you. Every little step that your game goes through, there's going to be a week between every little step that you're just going to lose. That's just going to evaporate. Yeah. Like even, even the freight shipping, you know, everyone said, oh yeah, you'll be on the water for five weeks or whatever. But like what you forget is, well, the factory has to finish manufacturing. There's a period of time where they have to like get everything palletized. Then that has to mm -hmm. get to the port. Then it might sit at the port before it gets loaded on that ship. Then you got your five week sale. Then it has to get ported, you know, at its destination. And then it takes time for it to get unloaded and then time for it to go through customs. Anyway, all those little, all those little time uh, delays just sort of add up and it suddenly becomes way, way more than, than what you originally thought. Yeah. You can estimate each step, but then each step comes with a little tax of time before and after to get, to get the mm -hmm. thing fully done. I find, you know, one thing I'd love to ask you about in regard to your, your experience kind of leading your backers through that Kickstarter process, um, all the way to the time that they got their final product and, and whatnot. Did you, how did you set expectations when, you know, like one thing I did was I promised on the last day of every month, 
come rain or shine, I will post an update on the last day. And so eventually my backers really started to look forward to the last day. I got very, it, all, nobody would request, quote unquote, request an update on Kickstarter until like the last day. And because everybody knew that that's when it was coming. What are some examples of things that you, uh, or methodologies you use to kind of manage your customers' expectations? I mean, yeah, I tried to follow your lead on that, right? I, I tried to put out an update every month and it was tough too, because sometimes you get to the end of a month and you're, you're like, okay, if I just have one more week, I'm going to have some more interesting information to share with everybody. Mm-hmm. But that can also be a trap because <laughs> as soon as that mm-hmm. month goes by, you start getting the little Kickstarter notification, backer wants mm-hmm. an update, this backer wants an update, and they start piling yeah. up and then you start feeling like, oh my gosh, I really got to get this <laughs> thing out. And I'd say another another thing I didn't appreciate is just how long it takes to create a really great update. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe I put a little too much pressure on myself to like try to really include a lot of pictures and a lot of information and make them, I don't know, I guess worth reading because those are the ones mm-hmm. I like to read. But um, just even that process, it takes like a week to prep an update and get it all together. And then you got to proofread it. And, and yeah. you know, it's like it's a little mini process even of itself. So I, you know, that was yeah. a little stressful where I'm like, I'm working on the update now, but then like backers are pinging me and going like, where's my update? Where's my update? Where's my update? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also keeps you accountable, right? Like in, and you, and you do have to get those things out on a regular basis. I would say overall an update takes between four and eight hours to do a good one. Right. Yeah. And I think like the best updates, they read like someone just like ripped it off in like an hour or something like that, because it's yeah. like, they're really smooth and breezy and they're fun to read and all that. But man, yeah, it takes, uh, it takes a bunch of effort to get, to make something, you know, chock full of content like that. And, uh, the trick with, I think more frequent updates is again, just making sure you do the due diligence, due diligence that uh, what you're saying is correct and accurate and that you're not jumping the gun and giving them an estimate that that's only going to disappoint them. So those all have to be double checked too. And then, you know, the worst, the, the thing you don't want to ever have to do is like rescind an update, right. And say like, Oh yeah, forget what I said a week ago. It's actually this. <laughs> that's really bad too. Cause that just confuses people and they lose track of the narrative or they see your old update. So I don't know. I, I do. I think the monthly cadence is, is, that does seem about right to me based on the amount of effort that has to go in there. Um, you know, I honestly, I think most creators would probably want to do fewer updates if they could get away with it. But I think, you know, again, like people want to know what's going on. They've invested money in your project and they want to, you know, be kept in the loop. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, you know, one of the things about updates and this entire process is that when you back a project on Kickstarter, it's much different than buying something at a store or on Amazon um, or, you know, like I'll, I'll use it, uh, the, the example of going to a movie, the best part of going to a movie and watching a movie is talking about that movie with friends. So, um, you know, it's, it's really all about sharing the experience together. And that's a huge thing that people love to do nowadays. They're, they're all about sharing the experience. Um, you know, Ahsoka is a show that just hit uh, Disney plus and everybody is really excited because I just see so much talk about, you know, after the, the premiere, everybody is super excited and talking about it. And I think that the actual show itself is not really the, the best part. It's sharing that experience with friends. And 
I think that the thing about a Kickstarter experience or game found or whatever it is that you're crowdfunding, you are um, there. People are buying into a promise of an experience and it's like they're on a roller coaster ride with you the whole journey from the time that you funded to the time that you succeeded, really the time you launch your project to the time that you finally deliver the last box. And I, I think that, um, you know, what you did a really good job with Scott is giving people their money's worth. Like, I think that eventually, you know, they, you're going to go back to Kickstarter or you could right with, with another project. And you're going to get a lot of backers that backed you before saying, I had a great experience in one, you know, form or another. I had a great experience. I'm looking forward to that experience again. I trust Scott. I like the product. I loved how we felt we were updated. I never felt like I was left hanging. I'm on board for the next experience, the next crowdfunding campaign. And uh, what what do you think about that? I hope that's <laughs> I hope that's the reaction they're having. I mean, one thing that has been really interesting and is again a little bit very different from video games is this whole um, during this whole fulfillment process. I've been basically talking one on one with a lot of people, helping them with their orders, doing sort of customer service type stuff. Actually, thought going in, boy, that's gonna be that's gonna be tough and it's gonna be a drag. And I've actually found that I've actually really enjoyed it. I when I made video games, we made these sort of big video games that would go out to a massive audience. And there was always almost like an arm's length um, relationship between us who made the game and then the, this giant audience. It was really hard to get your hands around it. It was almost like too big to ever really deal with on a personal level. And there were always other people who whose job it was to do that anyway. So you just kind of sat back and watched and tried to read the feedback. With the Kickstarter process and kind of, you know, running this thing as a, as a small company, I'm just interacting with people all the time. And I find it really, it's fun to actually help people solve their problem and, uh, answer their question and, uh, you know, feel like you've accomplished something. So now that, uh, Scott, now that your, your games okay. are all out, it's done, got, you know, you finally finished the, the fulfillment. What is the next step? What are, what are you, what are you doing now? Are you promoting the game you know, in a different way? Do you have copies of the game? Are you working on the next game? So what's, what would be the next step after once all your games have been fulfilled? Answer D, all of the above. Um, <laughs> it's all out to backers and that's great, but now we've got a whole big sort of retail launch uh, in front of us. So we have copies with distributors. Those are hitting um, local game stores now. You know, the game's going to be released on Amazon on September 15th. And that's all kind of happening around the world simultaneously. So we're sending shipments here and there and trying to get, you know, people excited about the retail launch. And then, of course, alongside that, we are going to run a big, we are running a big uh, influencer and review campaign. I've sent out, I don't know, something like 30, 40 copies uh, are in transit right now. And we're hoping to have people, um, you know, review the game and increase the buzz and increase the awareness and hopefully get the game uh, starting to be played at uh, people's local uh, game stores so that we can get a whole bigger community mm -hmm. going and thriving. That's excellent. And and where can people find you right now? Where, if if they're interested in Snapships tactics or, or learning more from you or talking with you, where can they... Where can they go do that? Just go to the website, snapshipstactics.com. From there, you can learn more about the game. You can find links to all our socials on the bottom. So if you want to jump in the Discord, Discord's a great place to um, 
kind of see what the fans are up to and talk about the game and, and kind of interact with myself and, and the other creators of the game. And then, of course, you know, we have an online store connected there where we're selling copies of the game and all the accessories in the U.S. and Canada as well. That's fantastic. Well, Scott, it's been really, really exciting having you. You are a, a real inspiration to me. I, I absolutely look up to you for so much that you've done. I wish I wish I could digress into all the experience I had with with uh, the products that you put your hands on. But um, needless to say, you were a big part of, uh, of my childhood and adolescence and adult life um, without mm-hmm. me knowing about it. So Same thank you mine. for your service. Now, now you're making me feel old. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Boomer. Um, <laughs> I just appreciate you being uh, willing to join us. And I look forward to the next time we get to spend time together on a podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on guys. Really appreciate awesome. it. All right. And actually robot Richard is, has no part in this podcast. Actual Richard, please send us on out. <laughs> and with that said, that is the end of this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. A big shout out to Scott piece of Snapships LLC. And if you're interested in his game or more about him, visit snapshipstactics.com. And of course, if you like this podcast, and you want to listen to some previous episodes visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com or join our wonderful community on Facebook. We have a lot of people there um, who are in various stages of their Kickstarter or crowdfunding project. And there's a lot of people asking questions and getting some really great answers. So if you need some uh, uh, questions answered or you just need some inspiration, head over there on Facebook as well. And until then, stay cool and stay nerdy.